grab your Bible and open up to uh, the book of Acts, we'll be in Acts chapter 18 this morning as we, um, as we turn and consider what, what God has to say in his word. Did Mark leave? Did he walk out of here? Mark, are you here? I, just, I wanted to point out, Mark pointed out that uh, he was beaten, or he, yeah, he was beaten by Nancy Meyer, um, but he was also beaten by Max Meyer, <laughs> who is 10, yes. Most people were, um, except for Jeremy Reed, also from among us, who, who took the, the, uh, the medal uh, in, in his age group. But uh, yeah, Max Meyer, who knew? Usain Bolt, watch out. Um, yeah, just a friendly jab at Mark there. We're going to read, and, uh, and then we'll turn to uh, the explanation of God's Word. The Bible says in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18, after this... Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we're able to devote to the understanding of your word, Lord. We thank you for speaking to us clearly in your word, Lord. We are not dependent on councils or churches or religious officials or any other person to hear you speak. We thank you for the faithfulness of those who have translated this word into our language. And we thank you that by the power of the Spirit and by careful investigation, we can see the things that you've revealed to us in your word. We thank you for that, Lord. It is a great protection against abuse and against being misused by those who would claim to have religious authority. We thank you, Lord, that in any setting, in any situation, at any time, we can open your word and check to see if it is so. 
And that, Lord, is a great blessing, and we thank you for it. We pray, therefore, that since you have been so kind to us, Lord, in that way and in giving us Christ as a sacrifice for our sins, that our, our sins are covered and that the righteousness which you require has been fully satisfied, Lord. There is nothing lacking in anyone who trusts in Christ from your perspective because of the goodness of Christ given to them. We thank you and we pray that because you have blessed us in this way that we would be all the more attentive to your word. Since you have given it to us and it is clear and it frees us from false authority, and because you have given us Christ, and because he is good and he frees us from the need to strive to obey, to be righteous, because he makes us righteous, we pray that all the more we would seek to live in a way that glorifies you, Lord, not to earn your affection. You shower that on us in Christ. But we pray that we would seek to honor you because you are a good and righteous and loving Heavenly Father. And I pray, Lord, in all that I say today, that I would not shackle anyone to a false burden. That I would not weigh anyone down with guilt. But that we would all come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and having heard your word and having seen Christ, that we would rejoice in your goodness toward us and we would seek to follow you each and every day, being satisfied in you as Father, being satisfied with the righteousness of Christ, our brother and advocate and high priest, and that we would seek to serve you in the power of the Spirit, Lord, turning away from our own works as our source of righteousness, but instead seeking to honor you in all that we do because you are good. Lord, we pray in thanks to you and ask your blessing on this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We have uh, in our home uh, something which in my mind I think of as the sniff test. Um, often, hmm? where is this going, she wonders. Um, often, uh, uh, Nancy will submit something to my inspection and she will, she will say, does this smell good still? And she'll uh, hand me the, uh, the, the open, or not hand me, it's more like present to my nose uh, the, the sour cream or uh, the applesauce or whatever it is at that moment is, is, is questionable because, because some uh, vapor, some, some odor arising from it has given her the idea that it is, it is no longer good. Uh, and she'll say, does this smell right? Now, I, I want to be I want to be careful to point out that this principle does not always work well in reverse. When I present things to her, uh, she is often not as uh, willing to receive. I think part of that is because I, I have so often said, I don't know if that smells right or not, and therefore um, not, not, not being one who regularly smells things before I eat them. You know, she just figures if I think it smells bad, then it probably is. Uh, because the power of the odor coming off of that must be so great uh, that, that it has set me off. What is, what is it supposed to smell like? 
is the question that I always ask. What's, what's, what standard are we judging by? Um, it is probably incredibly irritating to, to live with me at times because everything uh, becomes like some, some great question of knowledge. Like, what does, what does good sour cream smell like? Uh, but this is, how, this is how we judge things. We, we, we do the sniff test. Um, sometimes something's just off. My father, when I was a kid, used to say, when I would ask, is this good or is that good? Should this uh, device be making this noise? Or, or, or should, I, uh, uh, you know, should, I, should I continue to, to, to do this? Something, something about this isn't, uh, isn't, isn't right. My father would say, when in doubt, Throw it out as an experience. If something doesn't seem right or look right, stop immediately and reassess. We'll see this today in our passage in front of us in the experience of Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos. And I think that that seeing and hearing this experience perhaps will be encouraged in our ministry to one another. And perhaps you'll be encouraged as you receive ministry from others. Uh, Paul has spent some time in Corinth. There he met some brand new friends. He was delighted to, uh, to meet and then work with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, making tents. And we, we saw his ministry uh, with them and apart from them in Corinth last week. Um, and now he leaves Corinth. He travels to Sancreia and then Ephesus and then leaves his new friends behind. He, he continues to minister in, in Corinth and in Caesarea. He heads down to Antioch. He's heading home, uh, closing off this second ministry journey. But we're treated to this story on the side here, kind of uh, an added little bonus, a sidebar of uh, the continuing adventures of Priscilla and Aquila. They meet a man named Apollos. Now, this man, Apollos, is from one of the leading cities of Egypt, the city of Alexandria, where the great library was, uh, one of these great storehouses of, of knowledge. This man comes to Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the religious centers of the Roman Empire, where people are engaged in all kinds of religion and religious uh, speculation. And he comes there, and the Ephesians... And believers, I believe, are impressed with his eloquence. This man speaks well. He constructs a a strong argument, and when he reasons, he reasons well. Notice, when he uses the scriptures, he is competent in them. He seems to know his way around the Bible, around the Old Testament. It says in verse 25 that he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. Not only that, he was fervent. In spirit, he was uh, engaging in his own personal passion, not just kind of lecturing about something disinterestedly, but he was connected with his subject matter and excited about it. And that excitement was infectious. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He knew all about Jesus. Perhaps what he knew was about his life and the miracles he had performed. Perhaps what he knew... Uh, were were the the teachings of Jesus on different subjects. But as we we round the the corner towards the end of this sentence, it says, though he knew only the baptism of John, which means despite all of these things that were going for him, there was some defect in his teaching. 
There was something that was just a little off. And as Priscilla and Aquila hear him speaking boldly in the synagogue, they say something's just not right about this guy and about what he believes. Something's just not adding up. What's going on with this guy? I think many times as we seek to to be faithful to our call in the Bible uh, to to teach every man, to instruct everyone so that they may be complete in Christ, many times we run up against uh, this kind of smokescreen that some people give off. When I say that they give off a smokescreen, I don't mean that they intend to lead anyone astray. What I mean is we encounter something in them that makes us stop and pull back and say, maybe, maybe they don't really need me. Maybe they don't really need to interact with me. Maybe I don't have anything to, to offer that person. Maybe I'll just sit back and, and keep my mouth closed. Think about the description of Apollos and think about people that you know. Eloquence. Speaking well. Or speaking good, I should have said, right? should have said that first. If someone has command of words, we tend to think they've got command of their environment and themselves, don't we? That person's smart and has their life put together. Uh, when someone is competent in something, whether, whether they're good at their job or they run their home well or they seem to have a tremendous working knowledge of a, a number of topics, we, we tend to, to, to pull back from them a little bit and we think, wow, that, that person knows a lot. They probably know a lot about all kinds of things. Do, they, do, do, I, do I take a risk and share with them or speak to them? Passionate people tend to put us off a bit too, don't we? If somebody seems to be excited about something, we think, man, if I, if I speak to them about that topic, if I try to engage them, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll outdo me or they'll, they know more than me about this or that. It also says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. That means that he seemed to know all kinds of stuff about, about God and about the Bible and about Jesus, and he spoke and, and taught accurately things concerning Jesus. But it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. We, being men and women, our eyes only take in the externals about people. We need to be careful as believers not to, to take the world's value system, right? Gets up, goes to work, does their hair, right? Balances their checkbook, uh, knows, knows how, to, how to conduct themselves in public. We need to be very careful to not translate this column, the world standards, into the column of spiritual things. Does that make sense? Just because somebody is well put together in the world does not mean that their spiritual life is well put together. We, we make the mistake if we equate competence and, and measuring up in the standards of the world to translate to spiritual health. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He's come 
from Corinth. And, and after this Ephesian experience, uh, relatively quickly, he will write the book of 1 Corinthians and send it to them. Paul says to them, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to I point out, before we talk about the, the possible things that Priscilla and Aquila might have heard or seen in Apollos that would make them say, let's take this young man aside and instruct him in the way more accurately. I just want to point out something. The kinds of, of things that, that, that Apollos was giving off, the kinds of signs and, and markers of eloquence and competence and passion and knowledge and, and seeing, seeming to be well put together are not the qualities that should impress us in life as believers. We live in a culture of big and well-constructed. And so when we see a church, let's say, that is large, and full of enormous numbers of people, and raking in tons of cash, and the preacher has got his hair well done, and everything's in order, and he knows how to smile for the camera. We as Americans naturally say, that is good. And the truth is, at times, nothing could be farther from the truth. We need to be very careful what we value and say is good and make sure that when we're adding things up on the plus side of the column, that we're not allowing the world's values to influence us because what the Bible says here is that God's values are different. It's not human competence or human eloquence or human passion or being able to put together a well-constructed argument that determines whether or not something is of God. In fact, these qualities might help us, might keep us rather, from seeing real spiritual need. Have you ever had the experience of, of, of meeting with someone or sharing with someone or, 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 or thinking, boy, I really want to share the gospel with this person. And then you hear about the vacation they've been on or, or how well their, their children are doing or you hear about how, how good their marriage is and you think in your heart, I don't know if I'm going to share with them today. Their life seems to be going really well. Do they really need the Lord that's a smokescreen. And if we fall for that, not that they're the ones who are putting it off, because isn't the whole world, aren't we supposed to go out each and every day and, and present this united front that we're competent and capable, right? We're, we're called to go out that way. That's professionalism. We're called to do that. This is part of what we call not being a giant mess all the time, right? That's how we're supposed to live our life. I drive myself to work. 
right? You know, I don't, I don't say to my wife, how do I get to work? You know, oh, I'm so confused. I don't, we don't do that. We, we just we do what we need to do to get through each day. That's, that's part of the human experience. But it doesn't always translate into the, the spiritual experience. Paul is very careful to point out to the Romans that, that the lives of people, that, that what's going on in someone's life, their experience is not necessarily an indicator of spiritual health. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The laundry list that comes next is an indication that, that this situation being active in your life at present is not necessarily an indication that you are separated from God or alienated from him or that your life is not going well. But as Americans, we tend to think that success and peace and personal prosperity indicate spiritual health. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall these things separate us from the love of Christ? Just be honest for a moment and think that if you were to see someone in trouble who is distressed and persecuted and hungry and naked and in danger and hunted by the law, you would think that person needs Jesus, right? But it is not necessarily so. Those things do not separate us from the love of God. Paul then says in verse 36, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our external experience, whether positive or negative, interpreted by others, is not always the best indicator of spiritual health. The reality is what Jesus says in John 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus laid down his life for all of us, that we might receive his righteousness. He takes our sin upon himself. He is, he is crushed for our transgressions, put to death for our sins, and our sins are paid for, and his righteousness can therefore be credited to us. And he then says in John, no one comes to the Father except through me. He opened the way to heaven for humanity, and it is his right not to let anyone have access to the Father except through him, because he paid the price for admission for all humanity. Every single human being, whether having completely and utterly stressful, distressing, negative experiences, or riding the wave of success in their life, living a, a, a life where, where they're their, their life is, uh, it seems like the road of their life is paved with gold and every experience and every endeavor is just blessed and happy all the time. All of them, all human beings, are in need of Christ. Because what's going on in our life is not necessarily an indicator of whether we are in right relationship with God. Everyone needs Christ. Don't fall victim to the smokescreen. The outer 
man, the, the flesh, the body that we live in is a mask to hide what's going on in our souls from the rest of mankind, but it is open to God. We, we discern not through people's experiences, not through what's happening to them, but, but, but from their behavior and from their words, what's going on in their soul when they say, I am in, I am in need of answers, I'm in need of help, I'm in need of truth. Or when we hear them say things that indicate that, that all is not right inside of them, that's an indicator that, that, that they need our help. And sometimes they don't even know it themselves. Let me say this as well. You may be the kind of person who is well put together and who seems to have it all together and you seem to be very competent in, in many areas of your life and, and you seem to be, to be doing well, but yet inside you are either lonely or you are struggling or you are stressed out or you are weighed down with sins or you are, you are assaulted by the devil, but the aura and I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a new age kind of a way, but just the kind of, of, of way about you that you give off may be indicating to others that you don't need any help. And if you need help, you ought to share that with those whom you trust so that they can help you more about that in just a moment. The truth is that all human beings need one another. We need others. We need each other. In the body of Christ, we have not been created as islands, but we are components of one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21, that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We each have needs. We all have needs like this man, Apollos, where though we give off this sense that we are okay, we all have needs to be ministered to and to minister to others. If there is a person in the church who does not need someone else in the church, let me tell you who that person is. That person is Jesus, who is perfect and has all things in himself. And he needs no one else. Every single other person in the church needs the other members of the church. We have a ministry to one another. This is part of what Priscilla and Aquila will act out to Apollos in just a few moments. We'll see that. Uh, in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You may be tempted to skip out on church one Sunday and say, you know, last week I didn't get anything out of the sermon. Church just isn't meeting my needs. I just don't feel like I need it today. If we're honest, we've felt that way before. We feel like what we need is another two or three hours of sleep, right? 
where we need three or four more cups of coffee before we're ready to interact with people. But the truth is, if we are members of one another and we have been composed as a body with the ability to teach and to admonish and to share and to help and to help those who are suffering and to honor those who've, who've been honored and to rejoice together and we're, we're there composed as a body, then somebody has what you need in the body, and you need that body. And on the other side of the equation, somebody needs what you have. And when you don't show up, you rob them of that blessing. The ability to bless you, and they are robbed of the blessing that you have for them, and the design of God for the church goes astray. Each and every one of us needs others. Because of our fallen condition, we have serious limitations. There's, an, there's this phenomena that happens over and over again, right? Uh, they, they say um, that you can tell who your real friends are because they'll point out when you have a booger on your face right? Everyone else will just look at you and they'll be like, oh man, he's got a booger on his face. Good luck, buddy. You know, and you're like, I hope you're not going to give like the most important presentation of your life. Um, someone who loves you will be like, hey, you know, and there's that like social awkwardness. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in my head a lot about like how situations will play out. And I'm like, do I tell them now? Or do I, do I tell them in 10 seconds? Like, if I, how do I, how do I set it up? Like, hey, guess what? You know, are you doing this? You know, you, you know, you're like, you're like, hey, before you go. The, the situation, that's just a kind of a microcosm of what's going on in our souls. The reality is that, that, that sin deceives us and we have qualities about us and behaviors and attitudes and actions that others see in us long before we see them ourselves. Sin deceives us. The Bible says that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We kind of, we take the truths that we don't like about ourselves that are just kind of nibbling and gnawing at the edges of our conscience and we, we put them behind us where we can no longer see them and we're like, look, I've got nothing wrong with me. And everyone's like, yeah, you do. Look, you're the only one who doesn't know what we all already know. And by the way, you yourself do that with something, and we all know about you, and you're the last one to learn about that. Ed Welch, in his book, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, which is a great book, says this, the idea of sin being able to deceive us Suppressing truth so that we believe a lie should send, should send shivers down our spines. It is one thing to deceive other people. That is scary enough. It's even more frightening when we realize that each lie we tell leaves us more self-deceived. All practiced sin teaches us to believe lies. We don't often consider the boomerang effect of our deception. In the end... It will get us. The good news, he says, however, if we are willing to receive it, is that God uses other people to help us 
see. As we have undoubtedly witnessed in others or ourselves, we might be blind to our own hearts, but other people can often see our problems very clearly. Each and every one of us has a gap between what we believe, what we say that we believe, what we think that we believe, and what we are actually living out. And other brothers and sisters can help us figure out the distance between what we could call our formal theology, what I actually believe about God and what the Bible teaches me, and my actionable theology, what I believe each and every day. I, um, I walked the 5K yesterday with, with Hank. I was pushing him in the stroller. And our stroller, the, the back right driver's side wheel is kind of like smashed because of me, Nancy, kids. I don't know. But it's like the whole time I'm constantly pushing to the right because, because the stroller's always wanting to go to the left, right? This is why it took me so long to finish. I came in 10th in my age group. I'm pretty sure there were only 10 people in my age group. We all have a gap and we've got this problem and we're going astray and what it takes is some brothers or sisters with enough guts willing to risk and to respond with enough grace and enough love to point out and say, hey, this about you is not right. And when I come to you and share this with you, I'm not sharing it with you to tear you down or to mess you up, but to help you run the race so that you can be a blessing and a help to others. So often in our pride and our arrogance and our self-deception, we treat anyone who comes at us, anyone who shares with us as the enemy. Because we don't have any flaws or problems. We are self-deceived. If you are married, your spouse can provide you with an accurate list. And quickly. <laughs> but you'd probably be a grouch to live with if they did that. And that's why you don't know what's going on with you. So don't ask that question on the ride home or before lunch. You know, Pray and act repentant all day and then say... If, if you are able to tell me anything about myself without any fear of reprisal or grouchiness, and then if you really want to know, and you really mean that, then ask. What was it about Apollos? What was it that was wrong? Uh, many speculations. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think this is one of those wonderful examples in Scripture, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, where we have the, the, an example before us that we can supply any number of things there and say yes and find grace and comfort and hope there. We, we don't know what it was about his teaching. Uh, I believe that this man knew the Lord. I believe that he, he knew something but his teaching was not yet complete, and then, therefore any ministry that he would have to others would be incomplete. He needed help. What, what was it? I think it could have been his knowledge of Christ. Colossians 1.13 lays out the most magnificent vision of Jesus in the New Testament. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then skipping down, it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You have been reconciled by the death of this one in whom all the fullness of God dwells, the one who created all things. I think that, I think that many times people come into the Christian life having, having heard all the stories. They, they hear the story of Noah and the story of Abraham and Isaac and the story of David. And what they're gathering about the Christian life is be like David, be like Moses, be like Noah. And what they're getting is a steady diet of be good. And the gospel is not be good. The gospel is Christ is your righteousness. And if we don't know that, everything that we teach will be bad news to the ones who hear it, even if they think that it's spiritual. That might have been it. How blessed are those who would hear from Apollos later in his ministry if this was the problem. And how wonderful of Priscilla and Aquila to take him aside and to show him the error of his ways and for him to receive it in grace. Perhaps it was love. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. As Christians, we ought to, knowing ourselves and knowing our sin, know the depth of the love and the grace of God toward us. And that ought to give us an awareness of a need to extend great grace to others and to love others others. So often in many Christians, I encounter the absolute overwhelming need to be right about everything. And being a Christian becomes a matter of having a precise and perfect theology, and good theology matters. It's so important, but it is not everything. It needs to be connected to a great sense of grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that without love, he is nothing. If he does great things without love, he gains nothing. And if he speaks eloquent theology but doesn't back it up with real love, he's just a noisy gong. And who can stand that kid in the Chinese restaurant who gets hold of the, the little hammer and he just starts banging away at that thing, bong, 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 over and over. You're like, cut it out. Without love, all the rightness in the world is not going to reach anyone. Because people want to feel loved before they listen. Now, this is not to say that you can't take someone aside and tell them the, the error of their ways. But there needs to be some care and concern for the person there. No one has been appointed the sheriff of being right all the time and correcting everyone. No one. 
We're all supposed to speak the truth, but the Bible says to speak the truth in love. Perhaps, though Apollos was eloquent, he was not loving. And taking him aside and helping him, they blessed all those who would hear from then on, and they blessed him tremendously in his ministry. Perhaps it was humility. Paul says in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, though he was God's gift to the world, he did not act like it all the time. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Maybe Apollos needed to learn to lay aside some personal arrogance and self-enjoyment and to embrace humility. Perhaps in the midst of all his knowledge, he had a sense of being independent or being entitled to a pain-free life. How many of us struggle with this on a regular basis? Paul struggling with an affliction of the flesh, perhaps going through a, a, a period of, of thought where he felt that he deserved better having been this wonderful apostle. It says that he was, he was given this thorn in the flesh to keep from exalting himself. When you're, when you're given a th thorn by God to keep you from exalting yourself, it's probably because you are exalting yourself. 2 Corinthians 12, 18, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul didn't say, oh, isn't it just like God to give me this difficulty to struggle with for the rest of my life? Oh, I guess this is my cross to bear. No, it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses. I don't know that I can say that at this stage of my life with complete honesty. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. How many of us, when we feel weak, we feel the exact opposite of strong? We feel like we are in need of a giant demonstration of strength. We don't know the need. We don't know what was wrong with Apollos, what was going on, what didn't pass the sniff test. But Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and they helped him. And they helped him pass the blind spots and they helped him grow by seeing and saying what needed to be said. Perhaps you are here and each and every week you come in and you go out with no serious sense of connection to other people or serious sense of connection to the church or others and you are in need inside, you ought to ask without requiring others to be psychic. Because honestly, you look pretty good from the outside, most of you.
You need to ask clearly for what you need. And then you need to build a relationship that can communicate the depths of what you need from someone else. Do you see a need in someone else? Do you see someone else constantly riding off the tracks in a particular way? Speak the truth in love. Point it out at the right time, with the right tone, with the proper degree of respect. And make sure that the relationship has been built. Brothers and sisters, you are only as connected to other people in the body of Christ as you want to be. And you are only as connected to other people as you make an effort to do so. This is hard work, but it's worth it. We all have a word ministry to one another. Listen to Paul's command, a command to the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Meaning, don't constantly be ejecting the word from you, but let it be in you and be part of you. And then, with that word in you, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Not just go blow up lives and relationships with others by by being like, oh, you need this, 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 and this fixed. Ding! Next person. You need this, 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 and this fixed. Ding! Because they're going to be like, get out. Go away but admonish with all wisdom. Why? Because when brothers and sisters point out the truth in love and care and set you straight, we mature in Christ. The result is when someone shares with us and helps us that we are all stronger and better able to serve our Lord. Notice what it said. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. We don't find such high and exalted language used to describe the result of Apollos' ministry in the beginning of the passage. What we find is a description of his gifts and the the blessings which God had given him, but we don't see a lot of fruit when the brother and the sister help him. We then see that people begin to prosper from his ministry and to benefit from his gifts. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need each other. There's no call for disconnecting from the church and going away and saying, I need nothing. And there's no call for believing the lie of the devil that says, I have nothing to offer. We all need and can offer if we're willing to do it in the way that God designed and in the grace and strength which he supplies, guided by his word. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, I pray that we would each receive what we're supposed to from this word. Many of us need to embrace a greater humility. Many of us need to go to a brother and sister and say, I know so little and I have been hiding it for years. Many of us need to say, I have struggled or grappled with this sin. And I am repenting of it and turning it over to the Lordship of Christ. 
many need to say, the truth is I am just unloving. But Lord, we need to do it in a way where we will be in relationships that will help us to thrive and prosper and grow. And so I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord, as, as some seek needs, some, some will hear this word and say, no, not going to happen. And you have planted a seed, perhaps, Lord, for future growth. And one day they will come around. Lord, I just pray for each of us where this, where this hits us, that we be faithful to what we've heard and that we would respond to the grace of your word and that we would grow. Father, I pray for each person who's here, Lord, if there's any who have not trusted in Christ, I pray that they would rest in the goodness of the work which Jesus has accomplished for us. I pray, Lord, for us that we would trust in your grace and that that would be sufficient and we'd lay aside working and striving and that we would rest in your work on our behalf, Father, and then we would be faithful to carry out our ministry to each other in grace. Lord, we thank you for your word. Overall, we thank you for Jesus, the sign of your blessing and your love for us, Father. We thank you for the indwelling spirit who enables us to triumph over sins and who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, we are your children. We thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.